This is episode number 65 with Joanna Weeb of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night from wherever you are around the world. Hope you're having a fantastic day. Really excited to share my voice with your earbuds. I hope you're enjoying our episodes. This episode is with Joanna Weeb from copyhackers.com. And she's a copywriting master. Uh, what's really cool about Joanna is she you know she's all about writing copy that converts. And uh, it doesn't just sound cool, but she's all about making it convert. And, and what does a conversion mean? Whether that gets more sales, whether that's more leads, opt-ins, traffic, clicks, you name it. And uh, what's really cool about this episode is uh, I actually uh, – you know, put us, uh, founder and our work out into the open and, uh, she does a copy tear down on us. And, uh, there's so much gold that Joanna shares with us on how to write compelling copy and most of all, how to write copy that converts. So that's it from me. I hope you're enjoying these interviews. If you do have a second, please do take the time to leave us a review it helps more than you can imagine. It helps us grow. It helps spread the word. And I just want to say, if you are enjoying these episodes, tell a friend, you know, recommend it to any of your entrepreneurial friends or any of your friends that might be interested in entrepreneurship because uh, it helps. Uh, just a way of saying thank you for this free content that we're putting out just for you. So that's it for me, guys. Let's jump into the show. Joanna's going to rock your world. She is amazing. Boom. Let's do this. Just first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I'm going to ask you a question that I ask everyone that comes on, and that is, how did you get your job? I made my job. 
And uh, can you tell us the best way to get a job is to make one? (laughs) And can you tell us about that? Just a little bit of your background and and how you got into copy or, you know, becoming a great copywriter and saying copy hackers and yeah. Yeah, no, it started. I've, I've been pretty good at falling into a relatively decent amount of success in life. You know, I look at people who are able to look back and reflect on the key moments in their lives that like the decisions that they made that brought them somewhere. And I really, I really wish that I had strong, well-founded decisions that brought me to this point. But I think like a lot of people, you end up somewhere and then you can kind of like go backward, you know, and, and build the bridge that got you there. Like, right, go backward and look at what happened and pretend you knew. But I didn't. I started by, um, I went to school as an English major, which is like the least lucrative (laughs) um, (laughs) degree you could possibly get. My sister said it was a degree in basket weaving. That was what my wonderful sister said about my degree. And she wasn't necessarily (laughs) that far off, except actually she was. You learn learn a lot, right? And you get to do something that you love. And I just loved reading and writing. So I did that and then narrowly escaped law school and got a job at an agency, a B2B agency in Canada as their first writer. Yeah. And the, it was, that worked out really, really well. It was actually as a creative writer, that was the title that I chose. Strangely, I thought that was better than a copywriter because I didn't know what a copywriter was and it sounded boring to me. So I went with creative writer and yeah, that was, that was how, that was how it started. My life as a copywriter. I spent a couple of years at an agency and then I moved over to uh, the software giant Intuit, makers of QuickBooks and uh, TurboTax. And of course, Mint, they acquired things like that. So I was there for about five years and that was fantastic, except I didn't like my boss for the last year of my time there. And I accidentally quit my job. (laughs) Um, I sent the email that you write when you're really angry and then you mean to delete it. Instead of hitting delete, I hit send. Oh, wow. I know. (laughs) But it was one of those things that had to happen to push me in a direction that I was scared to go in. Otherwise, I think a lot of people feel the same way. They know they're entrepreneurial. They know that they want to do something for themselves that brings value to lots of other people but you're scared to do it. And I was, I was scared to go to my own and freelance even, right. Which a lot of people do, but I was, I was really scared that it would be very hard to find clients, to keep clients. that I'd have to charge like $20 an hour, all that terrible stuff. Uh, So anyway, so I, I accidentally quit my job at Intuit, but in the year leading up to that moment, I, I was, working with some startups that I'd met on Hacker News. So anybody who's familiar with the Hacker News community or news.ycombinator.com, they know that's like, it's traditionally been a very active community for people in startups. And so, yeah, so I was hanging out on Hacker News during, well, all my time at Intuit. But in that last year, it was, um, it was around October of the year I was leaving. So 2010, I think it was, when a gentleman named Sharif Bashay. He posted on Hacker News, he did a an Ask HN. That's so you'd ask the Hacker News community to take a look at something you're working on and give you feedback. 
And so I was one of the people who gave him feedback. Uh, it was for this solution called Better Means, which was project management solu- software for developers, for programmers and engineers in particular. It was a very jargon heavy homepage that he sent along. And I was like, okay, I can help him, right? I can do something. So I commented on the Hacker News post and then I sent along separately by email. I sent him a PowerPoint deck I'd put together of the different things I would do if I was working on his copy. Not pitching myself to work on it because I was at Intuit and I wasn't trying to get any freelancing work. I was still at Intuit. And so, yeah, so I sent that to him. And then about a month later, I got home. It was my birthday and I got home from dinner and my inbox was packed. And I was like, what is going on here? And Sharif had taken that deck. He posted it on Hacker News in a show HN that was all about how the Hacker News community is such a good giving community. We all help each other. And he used this deck that created for him as like the center of his argument. And of course, other startup founders seeing that were like, oh, can she do that for me too? So they were reaching out to me, um, a lot of them. Yeah, right? So I had like 50 or so emails in my inbox and they kept coming in and I'm replying to the ones at the top, right? So you start at the top of the list and go down. Mm. Um, And then of course they kept coming in above that. And so by the time I'd reached, I'd replied to like the 10th person saying, okay, I had to start saying no, right? I can't, I can't help everybody for free. I actually did have a day job I had to do. And so the ones that I said no to said, well, could you write an ebook or something? Could you teach us in some other way? And I thought, okay, well, sure. So I turned those 10, those 10 people that I said I'd work with, 10-ish, I turned them into case studies that went into what became a massive ebook, which after beta readers looked at it, became the first four small ebooks in the Copy Hackers series. And that was really the beginning of Copy Hackers. I launched those books and the Copy Hackers business about two months after accidentally quitting into it. And uh, it, it's, it's been great ever since. Yeah, that's how I got started. Yeah, wow. And, and how long ago was that? That So Copy Hackers will be four years old this October. Wow, that's like a week from now. Uh, it'll be, yeah, about four years old, four years old this October. Yeah, okay, wow, yeah. Because, you know, I, I've read a lot of your work and, and I have to say, like, when you come to the Copy Hackers site, you guys know what's going on. Like it, it's really, really impressive. And one thing I see a lot: so many testimonials and case studies everywhere on a lot of your, you know, core pages, like your about us and and all that yeah. kind of stuff. That I have to say, like it, it is very, very convincing. Oh, good! It's working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is working because. Because after, like, you know, the first time I ever found you, I went to the Copy Hacker site and there was just so many testimonials, case studies, you name it, that I was like, okay, wow, these guys must know their stuff. Well, that's the hope. (laughs) We do hope. (laughs) And we are learning a lot, right? The good thing about case studies, testimonials are one thing, but um, the good thing, of course, about case studies is that we get to learn. And we certainly do have on our site uh, examples of case studies where we messed up, where we had an assumption, a hypothesis, and we were wrong. And so we share those too. So it's not all glowing reviews of our intelligence. <laughs> a lot of it is the opposite. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I have to say like when I um, have like, I'm, I'm just on your start here now page and you know, you've got co- these cool companies read and trust us. You know, we've got Moz, Freelancer, Ogilvy, Asana, 
Unbounce, Mind Valley, Teespring, and then you know Shopify, Crazy, and then you've got all these Twitter social proof kind of testimonials, and then you've got like a video as well, and and then at the bottom you've got you've got more testimonials. Like you you guys do it really really well. So. Has that it been like always secure? It sounds like we've got a complex <laughs> and we're like really insecure or something. No, you've just like you just make it a massive no-brainer that you guys know your stuff when it comes to to, to copywriting. And, and I was always been very curious. Like, is that like part of like your your whole thing with co- like writing great copy? Is just having so many testimonials, case studies, just to make it a no-brainer. Yeah, well, certainly in the beginning, we didn't have any at all. So (laughs) we were very conscious of the need for those. And then you get things like, you know, uh, when people do read your stuff, like when Rand Fishkin says something like something nice about you um, and recommends people to you, I'm going to use that. I'm going to say that when Matt Berry from Freelancer says, and he said, uh, these eBooks changed my life. I'm going to write that down and use it everywhere. Like you better mm. be careful when you say something nice about me uh, because it's, it's going to end up online if you said it publicly, <laughs> right? Not if it's a private thing, but, um, but no, when there's that kind of stuff, it it behooves us as business owners to, to use it, um, to mm. not be shy about it. I think that a big part, like you said, I don't, I know that we're adding testimonials to the site when we remember to at this point. And truly we, we need to get better at that again and get back to that because a lot of like the tweets are old on there. Right. Mm. And now we have newer ones that we could absolutely put up. We just haven't, but I think it's, it's, you know, with social media and the ability to embed a nice tweet, you really and it's it's really reliable too, right? It's it's got all those cues that that signal to people, hey, this is a credible testimonial, really, when it's a tweet. Um, so why wouldn't a person put those on their on their site? So we do, and yeah. it works, right? It I mean, it, social proof is very powerful. I think everybody recognizes that it's a powerful persuasion technique or principle, and so yeah, we like to use it. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Cause uh, here I am thinking, you know, like we're, we've interviewed people like uh, Seth Godin and stuff like that. And he's given us great testimonials for the work that we do. I'm thinking oh, wow. we should put, we should put them as well. Like, Oh, you have to. Yeah. I would. Yeah. Well, that, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we've got all sorts of crazy testimonials that I've never even thought that we should put in there, but okay. I'm definitely going to do that. So Good. Look, you're you're a great copywriter. Even if you go to your website, you know you can see what you've got going on. You can see that you guys know your stuff. First of all, can you tell us a little bit just on the business before we get into, as I said to you before we jumped on the call, just all the copywriting gold and, and you know the tips and and the actual stuff. Just on the business, you know, how many people do you have in your team? I know that you do have a new service that you help people with? Can you tell us a little bit more about that as well? Yeah. Yeah. So copy hackers, I've said multiple times, you know, it does well in spite of me because I'm, I'm not trying to grow a big team. I know one of the legendary copywriters, Gary Benchavanga, a living legend, a lot of them have sadly passed, but he's he's still great. He, as I understand his business at least, he and his wife work on it alone. And I've always thought, that's great, right? Like that's ideal. I'm not a terrific people manager. I've got re- 
ridiculously high standards that make people not really enjoy working under me. I'm just being totally honest. I'm not necessarily, when it comes to writing copy for other things, I think I'm more flexible, but I know what I need to see from people when they're writing copy. And so it's not building out a team of copywriters. It's just probably not in the cards for me. And it doesn't have to be either. I think you know, coming from Intuit, where I worked um, selling QuickBooks, right, writing copy to sell QuickBooks, one of the things that we kept hearing from business owners was that they wanted to stay small. And I never really got that. Like, why would you want to stay small? But when I think of a business like my business at Copy Hackers, I want to stay small where it's myself. And Lance is my partner in life and at Copy Hackers. He works on it very irregularly because he's the CMO of Flow. So he can't help me out because he's busy being a CMO. And so then otherwise I have contractors I bring in as virtual assistants and things like that every so often to help with, you know, product launches and stuff like that. And, and, you know, bringing in freelancers to do writing, things like that. But, But our team is small. It's largely me just doing it, right? Doing all the parts of it. And I like it. I think it's good. It means sometimes that I don't get to turn turn a lot of my ideas into the best versions of what they could be. So I don't get to publish as often as I want to because I'm doing other things for the business. But for now, I'm, I'm, I'm totally okay with that. Now, when we look at other parts of my world, so I've got copy hackers. And as you mentioned, we have Snap, which is productized consultancy. So it's where people can go online, buy credits, and spend those credits on copy that my team of freelance writers and myself work on together. So if you, let's say you want to optimize your landing page copy, you buy 15 credits, you spend four of those credits on getting your landing page copy optimized. So that comes to me and a freelancer that I assign to it, we work on it together and then we get it back to you very quickly. That's a great business. It's actually a ridiculously profitable business. I'm shocked at how it's worked out, but it is, it's an agency. And so there's the part of me that wonders because I've never, ever wanted to be to run my own agency. I don't want that to feel like an agency. So I don't I don't know what the future holds for Snap. If I was a very smart person, I'd probably put a lot more effort into making it happen because I'm sure it could be one of those multi-million dollar businesses. So we'll see. But that's I don't know that that's on the horizon. Then we have another a SaaS offering for content creators called AirStory. And that it's very exciting to me. And that's myself and a co-founder, a technical co-founder who's on it full time. And we're growing that and we're just in private beta. So I know it's, it, it actually, when I talk about it, I know how scattered it sounds. I know it sounds like, oh, she's spreading herself across all these things. And that's where I am right today. But it doesn't mean that I plan on being there tomorrow. We have plans for what will happen with Snap. We have plans for Air Story. And of course, we have plans for Copy Hackers. And it won't mean me always being spread thin, but it does mean, you know, you have to do, you know, you, you put the irons in the fire and see what works and then choose the ones that you want to work on most. Really, that's where that's where I'm at with the business. Yeah, no, and I think that's really, really important because, uh, yeah, like if you looked at all all the all three that you just described, you can't make them all just like absolutely blow it out of the water, right? 
No, no. I, I, you know, if I, if I decided to, to stick with snap because it's a great, what's, what's challenging for me is, and maybe other business owners feel this when you see something that I didn't want snap to be a cash machine. I expressly said that to Lance and another person who was our business partner at the time. I said, I don't want it to be that. I want it to be something different. And somehow it's sort of turned into a cash machine, which I don't, I just don't enjoy. I'm not that motivated by money. I'm mm. more motivated by wanting to like work on something really exciting. So Air Story might never make any money, but I really love what it's doing. And so, yeah, you know, so you, you weigh things and you go into a project thinking it's going to be something you put it out there and you see how people respond and you have to make decisions at that point. So for me, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I do think snap will be going away. I'll be always focusing on copy hackers and doing my best to give the rest of my time to air story. Awesome. 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 Yeah. And I, I feel you on the money piece. I can see that you're at heart a creative, right? Yeah, I think so. And, and I think that that means I know that I have to make money. I come from a lower, very lower middle class family, just above the poverty level for most parts of our lives. And so I get the reality of needing to make money. I just, just don't care that much about it when it comes down to it right what's any investor who's like wait hold on hold on no no it's not that it's that i think that it it's the old rule if you do what you love the money will follow mm, and um, yeah that's so true i want to make sure that that's what i'm doing yeah 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 that you want to do work that excites you when it becomes yeah. like 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 a grind that's like yeah. when you you know you've got uh, you're back in your 9 to 5 i think but sometimes you do have to grind it out sometimes you do have to grind it out you know yeah. 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 And that's, you know, that's why Snap really isn't closed down yet. But we will see. We'll see what happens. Hmm. Awesome. So, yeah, look, let's get to your creative stuff. Like, cool. what, what is, first of all, I think probably the, the, be, the first thing we should tackle with this copy piece is what are the biggest common amateur mistakes you see people make with their copy? And then we'll delve deeper from there. Oh, gosh. I get this question a lot. And it, my answers change every time because it's like the three things I saw this week um, will rise to the surface. But there are lots of mistakes. And they're all they're all well-intentioned, right? So most people who are writing copy are doing their best to balance a bunch of stuff that's going on in their heads, Um I, th I think that there's almost a good thing about design, like working in Photoshop. If you don't know how to work in Photoshop, you're probably not going to really engage that much in design, which means that you'll trust other people to do it and you'll give some level of feedback. But there's really nothing keeping us from writing copy, from putting words down on a page. And so it's it's there's no filter. There's no wall that holds you back. So you dive into it with a lot of the baggage that you've carried your life around how you're supposed to make things sound, what sounds good, what your English teacher said. So that leads to rookie mistakes, um, like trying to make copy sound polished, right? So there's, you know, when we're sitting around reviewing copy or looking at other people's copy and especially writing our own I think we tend to, and not I think, I know because I see it all the time, we tend towards this place where we're trying to say 
things in as few words as possible. We've been told somehow that you have to get it down to as few words as possible, Mm -hmm. which there's a gigantic asterisk beside that statement because there's (laughs) so much to say about what it means to get things down to as few words as possible because it's a big statement with a lot of things buried inside of it. So we try to get it down and then we try to do things like make it sing, which is probably the worst advice I've ever heard. And people like to latch on to that, like, oh, you should make your copy sing, which is awful for a lot of reasons, largely because lyrics aren't meant to have words stand out in them a lot of the time, right? Like it's part of a flow. It's just trying to create a sense of, you know, the melody, right? Working with that and and copy is supposed to be noticed. So we want words to stand out. We want things to sound raw and unfamiliar and unexpected. And that's really unusual in copy that quote unquote sings. So while everybody, all these rookies are really trying to make their copy sound very polished, like a marketing copywriter wrote it, Mm. that's the rookie mistake. The goal is to make it sound like something that might actually get noticed, which means using words that are unexpected. And we've seen loads of academic studies. And then we we test the same sorts of things in our split tests that we run. But all of these studies end up showing us that people really do absolutely need to see words on your page that are different from what they expected to see. That doesn't mean you go in crazy directions where you use words that cause confusion, but rather instead of saying the simple, obvious words, you say something that's stickier. So for example, we did this split test with a website out of the UK. I think they're out of the UK. Now that I say that, it changed my mind. I work remotely, so I never meet any of my clients, Um, (laughs) but they're called Drisipi, D-R-E-S-S-I-P-I. And they, they do clothing online, so they help you find clothing. So their homepage headline went like this, clothes you'll love, perfect for your shape and size. Okay, not a okay. bad headline, right? Yep. Saying something. Yeah, there's simple, love. straight to the point, yeah. And that's the, that's what people think it's supposed to be, simple, straight to the point. Okay, let's hold that up in the air. Is it supposed to be simple and straight to the point? Those are good things, but everything with a grain of salt. So, so we tested against that. I'm just writing down straight to the point. And what was the call to action? The call to action was get started now. Okay. Yes. Get started now. Let me actually, I'm going to bring that up while I'm talking about this. I save all of my split tests. Um, So clothing you love for your shape and size. And we tested against that copy that we were trying to make feel different and uncomfortable. That was like our hypothesis. We're like, people will convert more if they notice the words. Uh, the, The words say something that are sticky, that's stickier and different. So we went out and we did, and this is what I recommend. This is another anti-rookie mistake. So a rookie mistake is to sit there and stare at a page. The thing to do if you're going to write copyright is to go out and listen and look for your message. So your message is never hiding inside your head. The next great line of copy isn't sitting inside your head. There may be fluke instances in which you have had a good line of copy in your head, but that does not mean that all the lines of copy are waiting in your head. They're not. They are out there in the words that your customers and prospects are using online and, of course, in surveys and interviews you do with them. But especially for those of us who are pressed for time, especially online. Mm. So, 
So we were like, okay, well, here's this headline. It's perfectly fine, but it's converting at like, you know, the typical 2%, right? With get started now, or wait, no, it was sign up now. That was the call to action, which is just tragic, right? But <laughs> we went out and we listened to how people who were, who would fit well as a Drisipi user, how they were talking about their bodies. So the, the goal with Drisipi is to help people of any weight or size or like height find clothes that'll actually work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were like, okay, well, let's, let's talk about then overweight women who are trying to find clothes that they feel comfortable and confident in. How do these women potentially talk about themselves online? And we, so we went and eavesdropped online, right? People are writing in forums, they're writing uh, in YouTube comments, um, they're writing in blog comments, they're writing all over the place about their feelings and experiences, and they're using their natural language, except on Twitter, where they're forced to keep it very short, so that's tough. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's less useful to go to Twitter. But you can go to like forums and things and just pay attention to the language that people use and then copy the interesting stuff. So we saw that women were talking about themselves with real words, which should be no surprise to anybody, right? They were saying bum, boobs, um, all, all keep going with it. Everything you can yeah. imagine that people say about their own bodies when they're just talking normally like human beings, not marketers, human beings about how they feel about themselves. And so we were like, okay, well, we're trying to say something sticky. So let's do this. Let's try. So we replaced that with um, our new variation that we tested against that headline I mentioned earlier was um, big bum, question mark, thick waist, question mark, not so perky boobs, question mark, (laughs) find clothes you'll love or find clothes. I don't have it in front of me. I'm sorry, but find clothes. You'll look good in just as you are. I know it ended with just as you are because we were like playing off the, you know, Mark Darcy. Oh, I like you just as you are to Bridget Jones thing, which every woman on the planet adores, frankly. Mm. Um, so we went with that, but the point was the big bum, thick waist, not so perky boobs. Yeah. And then she right, right. You have to. And I know that everybody can't use the word boobs on their page or bum. I'm not saying that. But the point is to try something that's going to get noticed. The effort of actually trying to get noticed. It's a big hurdle for people to get over because largely we're trained not to get noticed, to be part of the herd, to be part of the crowd, to be somewhat invisible. And I can talk at length about that. I just talked at CTA Conf about that. I mean, you can really Google any of your competitors look at the PPC landing pages for them. And in most cases, they're all saying the same thing, which is absolutely nothing. Like right now, (laughs) Google invoicing software, like in quotation marks, invoicing software, click through, I'm sorry to spend the money of all of these invoicing software companies, (laughs) but click on those PPC ads, go to the landing pages and they'll all say, basically all of their headlines are exactly the same. Like you could look at seven, 10, 13. They're all saying the same thing, invoicing software, world's easiest invoicing software. And there's lots of reasons we can say they're doing that, but what are they wasting? What are they giving up in saying the exact same thing that their competitors are saying? Um, Mm. So there's that big question. But anyway, we ran this test and we also changed the button copy from sign up now 
to show me outfits I'll love. Again, that's also trying to get noticed. It's trying to say something. And that's following good practices around writing buttons, right? Like um, where you want to express more of a call to value rather than just a call to action. So a call to Mm. action is sign up now. That's the action to take. But is that what people really want, right? Is it what they want to do? Is it going to give them the thing that they're looking for? It's a means to an end, but surely we can do better in our copywriting than just messaging a means to an end, right? We're here to move people to action. So a call to value might be show me outfits I love. So we tested those two. And we also did a variation that just had the headline without the button. We tested that as well. And that didn't perform as well, of course, as the headline that had the optimized button. And the results were 127% increase in clicks on that button for the variation that had that unexpected, unusual, unfamiliar headline with a call to value rather than a call to action. Yeah, wow. Right? 127% more people clicking means that now, of course, on the next page, you want to do things to make sure that they're not just clicking and then vanishing, but you've given them, they're excited, they're interested. Now, optimize the next part of the funnel, right? And keep doing that so you can actually turn these visitors into users and customers. So yeah, so that's a that's a big one, right? It's mm. looking beyond yourself for the message and making yourself feel uncomfortable. If it scares you, you're probably doing it right, right? If it mm. doesn't scare you, you're probably, no one's going to even read your copy. Yeah, no, this is great. Uh, there's a lot that our audience can take away from that example, I'm going to get a little selfish now, and I was hoping you can pull up the founder homepage and give us some raw feedback and just go what? to town on us. Okay. You asked for it. Don't forget that. <laughs> All right. So if you go to founder, F-O-U-N-D-R, mag.com, I'd love to hear your feedback. And uh, Oh, Lord. Yeah. I, I, know, I know it might not be up to scratch, but we'll see how we go. Here we go. Okay. So the pop-up got me first down below. And I'm a fan of pop-ups. I'm not saying anything bad about it, but it did attract my eye. I wasn't ready for it. So I'm going to close it. And I don't know how many others would do the same, but there's that. Okay. So then when I go back and look, I see all of this cool stuff with these cool people. I'm watching the video in the background, by the way. Yeah. So it's very... I would say distracting. I know what the point is. Like I know why you're doing it. I think it's it's great and it says a lot about the power of Founder Magazine. I just I'm so distracted by it that I'm not really sure what the words are doing there. Um, uh. That's for me. So we have to. I mean. Copy has a hard enough job to do as it is. Copy is your online salesperson and not like a car salesperson. It has to be like a salesperson who starts out as a friend for some people and who builds your brand for other people. Like your copy has a lot of work to do and to have it compete (laughs) with, uh, you know, huge names like, you know, Ariana, is it Ariana Huffington? I always forget. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with these images of people that you know and these scenes that you really kind of just want to watch, I feel bad for copy that has to try against that. Um, so there's that. Do you need copy on the page if you have that much going on? And if you do, should it be centered on the page? Um, mm. Maybe. Now, it's worth testing. But generally, those distractions, although I could see this being good for branding and for making founder feel like a great 
publication to read, yeah, the copy is is left to struggle against it. So your headline is entrepreneurs need help. Okay. Now here, here's the, here's the thing. <laughs> okay. Um, you've done the thing. You've done the thing. Yeah, I know. You're trying to get the headline down to as few words as possible and it has to sound um, good. But I do think, I think that you're saying something that's a little different. You're just doing the thing where you say it the same way anybody else would, um, which you have to decide what's more important to you in a business. Is it standing out or is it, are you going to put a lot of money into branding and other ways of getting people to recognize what it is about you? Um, your words could do that, right? Choosing the right words could do a lot of heavy lifting. So entrepreneurs need help, I would say. The subhead below it, which is usually the case, and Ollie Gardner talked about this, and I've written about this in my ebooks, the fact that the subhead is usually better than the headline. So in a lot of cases, you could scrap your headline completely and just like make your subhead your new headline. And what would happen if we did that? Then your headline would be the resource. I pause on that because it sounds boring. The resource (laughs) entrepreneurs choose to learn how to build and grow a successful business. So there are multiple clauses in that sentence, which isn't a bad thing, except if you were to turn it into the headline, you'd probably want to use some punctuation just to break it up. Mm. Um, again, you don't, your English teacher isn't looking at this. No one's grading you on it. The only grading you're getting is whether somebody converted or not. So grammar rules, grammar is good. Punctuation is a different story. So I might do something for that headline for that subhead, which could possibly stand alone is you said the resource, is it the number one resource? Um, you said entrepreneurs, how many entrepreneurs? And if you say how many entrepreneurs, you don't necessarily have to say the number one resource. A lot of people don't believe the number one resource anyway, but the resource alone just sounds like kind of shallow. It's very like, bland. It's not very, right? I wouldn't know walking away from this why I should read Founder, right? I don't look at any of this. Like we can pick into the words all we want to and we should, but but we have to have a goal for the copy. What is it? Is it just to get people to keep reading down the page? Then we have to do, in any case, we have to, I think, do more than we're doing here. What is it about Founder that makes it better to read than any other publication that I might be considering reading. Because, of course, one of the big forces that we're working against when we're trying to get people to do something is inertia. Why should they change out of their path today and hit subscribe now? Why? Because it's bright pink? That's one reason. That's a (laughs) way to get the lizard brain to look at it. But will I remember once I've subscribed to it and I get a notification on my iPad that it's available, will I remember why I subscribed in the first place? And if your copy is not expressing what's really interesting and different and wonderful and innovative about you, especially if, if you're talking to entrepreneurs, there is more of an expectation, even if it's not spoken, there is an expectation that the things they're going to spend their time doing have to be at least, I would say, as innovative as they are. They have to mm. learn in multiple ways from the things that they're engaging with. So that 
it means learning from the actual way that you market yourselves, not just the content of it, not just the design of it, but that's another way to learn too, but also like how you stand apart, what makes you different. So I would ask you, what is different about Founder? What would you say is the different thing about Founder? Well, we have many different elements to our brand because we have the podcast, we have the magazine, we have our blog content, our social content, and then we're starting to move in training products. So we're we're like a multifaceted platform. So when you say what is different about Founder, do you mean around the, the mission of the brand or, or the magazine or? I mean, I'm a person who comes to your site. I'm an entrepreneur. So I'm a good prospect for you. I'm an entrepreneur who needs help. Okay. So I'm a good prospect for you. I land here. The question is always, of course, how did I get there? But let's say someone referred me here, said, oh, you should read Founder. Maybe it was a tweet. And so I end up over here. What are you going to say to me? What is the thing, the single takeaway that I must have if you've only got, you know, five seconds to get me? What is it? Because you can't say a platform. Yeah. Nobody gives a crap about a platform, <laughs> right? I mean, it'd be nice and, you know, sea levels feel good about it, but your, does, your, does your prospect feel good about it? So what no. is that thing? Yeah, what is that easy, thing? I right? guess, yeah, I guess, I guess the biggest thing is that I started Founder knowing nothing about entrepreneurship. So it's coming, I, I've just created it and all the other elements of part of the platform and everything that we do just comes from things that I think are, are valuable and cool. So I guess uh, another piece of that puzzle also is is we, we, we're able to get in touch with, with hard to reach people. Okay. So we're kind of like, I guess like a, a cool funky version to a Forbes or entrepreneur, but it's made by people on the ground that are actual real entrepreneurs that are actually... I guess, in the trenches. Okay. It's interesting, some of the language that you use there, it's so different from what you see in the tone of your copy here. And now I feel, I think that the design of your page, once we get past all those, the images up in the hero section, mm-hmm. it's it's clean. And I think it's the tone that one would expect based on what you've just said. The The visual is, but... You said words like cool and funky, and I'm not saying that you have to use those words on the page, Mm. but they're moving in a direction that's pretty far from the resource entrepreneurs choose to learn how to build and grow a successful (laughs) business. That has nothing. I don't feel any connection to it. And because none of your competitors are saying anything that makes them stand out, because most of them, you mentioned Fortune, uh, these other publications that are really standing on their brand on their history. You aren't, you don't, you're new. You can't stand on that. And not only that, that's not a very powerful thing to stand on. That's how you become, you know, kind of outdated and out of touch. For you, you have other things going for you uh, that have to do with being younger, really, and talking to a generation in a way that doesn't feel like you're tied down to what fortune is not that i have a problem with fortune magazine or whatever all these guys produce great content no not not bagging that no of course not right no i and i don't think anybody i hope nobody's taking that away but when we're trying to position ourselves against other people especially the incumbent like something that already exists that is really um powerfully known and basically ubiquitous in business how do you inch your way in there and 
the huge opportunity for every small business, for mine, for yours, although things, you know, are going well in these areas, but still those opportunities, there's so much growth available to us, but not if we're scared. I think not if we sit quietly and try to say things that aren't really going to say too much at all. We have to dare to be as innovative with our copy as we are with the products that that copy is trying to sell. So you've got a really innovative design, right? You have, and you have clearly incredible content, but the question continues to be, why should I care about you over something else? Do I just add founder as one more magazine? What makes me want to rush to read it? And those are the kinds of things that I think we have to dare to say more in our headlines and our subheads. And then we have to, throughout our copy, reflect our brand and feel confident about that. So if you speak and you say words like cool and you feel that you are closely connected to the type of person who would read founder, then shouldn't you use words like that? At least it's worth a test. Mm, yeah, no, I agree. hundred percent. This is, this is great feedback, Joanna. And I hope, uh, the audience doesn't mind being me being a little bit selfish and uh, <laughs> they're learning along the you way got, too. You, you got in trouble for your headlines, so you didn't really get much out of this. You just got in trouble. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I want you to uh, do these teardowns. Uh, so I think that's amazing. Look, we have to work towards wrapping up. This is great advice. Yes. I've taken away a lot, so I'm sure the audience will. Two more questions before okay. – no, three more questions, and these are quick ones. You talked about tools. What what's your number one tool to test? Is it uh, visual website? What do you call that? VMO? Well, it's now just VWO. That's yeah. what they call themselves now. But yeah, it was Visual Website Optimizer, which I have traditionally really liked. Then they did an update that was problematic for power users. I was a power user and I couldn't use it the way I used to. So I switched over to Optimizely. And Optimizely is good as well. But now VWO has new ways of working with data that makes a lot of the results more reliable. So one of my big problems with testing platforms is that you have to use a bunch of calculators outside of the testing platform to... Yeah, to feel good about the results because, you know, Optimizely and VWO have traditionally called tests when their calculations show that there's a winner. And that could happen for as few as like seven conversions on one variation and 13 on the other, which is just clearly not enough data. <laughs> like that's mm. not a good enough sample size. Um, so so that's been a problem. And now that VWO is working to fix that, I assume Optimizely is as well. But I've definitely turned it back toward VWO. So that's the one that I use most. Gotcha. And sample size, you recommend a thousand? Yeah, I'm I'm not the perfect person to talk to about sample size because you get into those big questions, right? And stats was like my worst <laughs> my yeah. worst course in university. <laughs> oh Lord. I ran out of that class and it was done. Yeah, um, no, I feel you. That's okay. That's okay. Look, I, I yeah, personally think are... the thousands around, you know. And if you go to like conversionxl.com, yeah. right, you'll get a lot about the uh, the detailed side of split testing. Mm, yeah, awesome. Okay, second last question. Top three tips, top three takeaways you want people to take away from this interview around their copy. And you can you can pitch your, your like any free resources you have or anything like that. <laughs> 
I can pitch. Ooh, yeah. I'm a copywriter. Don't get me started. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I think that a big takeaway is one, to test wherever you can, but then not to be too focused, I think, on the data, which we haven't really got into here. But for as many times as we say, as we find really great results, there's other cases where we had a really great potential win that didn't finish. And and I think that we get to a place where marketers rely so much on other things telling them what to do and what not to do that you lose a bit of the joy of being a marketer. And it can be a very exciting space to be in. So so I'd say test, but be careful that you don't test away all of your your excitement and all of your opportunities to innovate with your copy. So there's that Two, don't look inside your head for your messages. It's it's frustrating anyway. It's not going to lead to anything good. Don't ask your mom. Don't ask your spouse. <laughs> unless your mom is the perfect audience and then just interview her and listen, but don't ask her to weigh in on your copy. So go out and find those messages. And that means going through Amazon book reviews and forums and YouTube comments and blog comments and all of those things and interviewing customers when you can and surveying them where you have open-ended questions that allow you to go through and pour over the actual phrases that they use and then take that and use that language to write your copy. And then if you can't test because you don't have enough traffic, let's say, then at least you have a really strong starting point because, again, you're basing what you're writing on something real, not just on sitting there staring blankly ahead and hoping that the muse will strike somehow. <laughs> that and let's see what other one I would, uh, I guess a really actionable one is probably go over to your homepage or a landing page right now, delete your headline, make your subhead much bigger than it is and hit publish. That's probably more likely to be clearer than what you've currently got on your page. And if that's not true for you, absolutely congratulations and send me your page. Boom. All right. Uh, last question before we wrap is where's the best place people can find you or do you have any yeah, free free resources or anything where people can get started as well? Oh, yeah. We we love doing free at Copy Hackers. So we've got <laughs> lots of worksheets, uh, persuasion ebooks that are free on there. We're about to launch a new promotion, really, where we're just giving away our first ebook on how to find your message. So book one is our most popular ebook, and we're just going to give it away now. So you can, you'll be able to get that soon. I would think I'd have more control over some of this stuff than I do, but we work with Balance Exchange, which is an incredible platform, and they're kind of in charge of the timing of that right now. So Anyway, that'll be coming. But yeah, if you go to copyhackers.com, our blog, we're constantly publishing whatever case studies that lead that are at a place where they're able to be published as case studies. So we're happy to share what we're learning there. And of course, on Twitter at copyhackers with an S. Awesome. Well, look, Joanna, you've absolutely blown me away with uh, how much gold you've shared with us. And, with my uh, rambling? I, no, it was great. It was great. Like I knew you would, like I, I know your work well and I knew you'd bring your A game and uh, look, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. You, you were amazing. Thank you. It's been great chatting with you. I hope people got good stuff out of it. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. 
As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.